Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to another episode of the PodCTL podcast. Tyler, it's good to be back. Last week was yeah. kind of hectic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing, nothing really of interest in the Kubernetes community or, or open source software community or anything really seemed to happen. It's pretty quiet, right? Yeah, quiet weekend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, so, you know, we, we, don't, we don't do a lot of news. Once in a while, we do some news. Um, I, I guess people who are listening to this, if you've been under a rock, um, IBM uh, made, a, made an offer to acquire Red Hat. Um, obviously, that still has to go through some legal and regulatory stuff. But uh, yeah, so that happened. And uh, those companies do Kubernetes. So, um, and that's about all we can talk about for legal reasons, uh, that you and I are not allowed to talk about anything about this acquisition. But uh, yeah, that happened. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a combination of, yeah, so you said not allowed to and also I, I'm, not, I'm not involved. I don't know anything about it. So. That's right. That's right. You, you and <laughs> so I not a lot of insight I could give. That's right. But we, we, we covered that news. So, uh, so yeah, that's that. Um, so we had, we had a good um, – so we've been, we've been kind of digging through – the KubeCon schedule, and uh, we'll go and we'll find some topics that uh, we may want to kind of dig into. We may go grab some people that are that are talking about that. But we got a we got a really interesting email from from a listener this week or a week or so ago, um, and it was some went along something like this. They said um, we uh, we run you know he's, he's part of a team um, and he didn't necessarily specify whether he was sort of on the ops side or on the development side. I think he was tend to be more on the kind of ops or platform side of the world. Um, and he said, hey, we already run an existing Kubernetes environment. And, uh, you know, we like the technology that we're using. Uh, we think it works well. Uh, we're able to get a bunch of applications on it. Um, and he said, but there's other groups within our company, because we're a large company, that are using other Kubernetes stuff, you know, some homegrown stuff and, and maybe some other, you know, sets of technology. And they basically said, like, um, you know, how, how would you recommend that somebody might you know, with a situation like this in their company, and we hear about this all the time, that the people, you know, different groups and different uh, divisions and so forth are, are using different tech to sort of do the same thing. Like, how might you convince some upper management or even those other groups that like, they should get on board with what you're doing, like it have some consistency and not be spending, you know, twice as much money to solve the same problem. And so we thought that might be an interesting conversation to have, because I think a lot of people have it. Um, and I think there's, there's different aspects of it that are sort of interesting from sort of buy versus build and internal evangelism. And, you know, w why would you have these situations? You know, is it a developer thing versus an ops thing? And so I thought we might dive into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think um yeah, I think obviously this is a topic that's not specific to Kubernetes and containers when it comes to large IT orgs where it's like, hey, we're we're all kind of you know, re, you know, the the uh the reinventing the wheel idiom comes up there where he's like, "Well, hey, we're all doing the same thing. Why are we spending so much effort? Can we kind of consolidate that?" And at a very high level sometimes that that makes sense, but then sometimes there's specific things that are different about what groups are doing where, you know, it, it it looks at a very you know ten thousand foot view level like you're doing the same thing, but once you dig into it, it's just kind of different. Yeah, yeah. So let's sort of break this down into chunks, and these are by no means prioritized. They're just sort of um, kind of the process that we hear from different companies and that we you know talk to people about. So I think the first one that often comes up is sort of the the buy versus build or you know uh, build versus consume. So basically, it's 
do we just go out and get the open source software and then figure this stuff all out ourselves? Um, or do we use something that's already kind of put together for us? So that could be a, you know, Kubernetes distribution, you know, something like OpenShift, or that could be uh, Kubernetes managed service or something else. But that's that's always the first starting point. Where do you, where have you found that um, that that tends to sort of break in terms of one way or the other? You know, why people go one direction versus the other direction? And, and have you seen any sort of, uh, breaking points, if you will, or starting points or whatever that say like, oh, once you reach that level, then you might want to reconsider your decision. Yeah, I think I think the the key thing is um, sort of not just I think people overly s- settle on uh, engineering talent, which I think is a little bit of a distraction because like, oh, is your obviously you have to have people that's a, a baseline have pe- have to have people competent enough to be able to, you know, if you're do- DIYing it. To be able to, you know, um, have the skills to troubleshoot and fix and and you know patch and all those types of things, uh, but but the next level decision is: Does this make sense? If we have those people, um, does it make sense to be deploying their skill sets and time in that uh, in that area? You know, if you know, I had a I had a uh, customer talk to me about this. Um, where they were saying like, hey, yes, our engineers are definitely smart enough to you know sort of build and and operate a platform. Uh, but they said they're also smart. They should be, you know, we want them doing things like helping the developers put build pipelines together and, and, you know, stuff like that, you know, automation and CICD, not, you know, say, Hey, or stand me up VMs or containers or whatever. So I, so I think at a basic level, um, it's making that decision. And then the question of, is it, is it worthwhile is, um, if it makes sense from a uh, engineering perspective to do that based on your business where, Hey, you know, we, we do need to control these pieces because we need to modify it because of our apps or we really need to be contributing upstream or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And I, and I think this is one of those situations where, um, you know, some of this is, uh, if you ask the question, like, do we have the right engineers? Um, you know, my, my immediate response is typically like, well, you know, if you're in, maybe one of the really big hotspots for technology. So that could be like Silicon Valley. It could be Seattle. It might be you're in, you know, New York City or, you know, sort of New York, New Jersey area for financial services where there's a big, deep concentration of, of, you know, sort of high-end engineering talent, um, people that might have the skills to do these things. Um, But I think the other thing that the people often say is like, well, you know, free is better than than paying for something. I'll throw out a couple of numbers that we use sometimes um, when we talk about what OpenShift and, and, you know, this can be relative to, to other types of things. But, um, you know, we we typically on average will fix, you know, now keep in mind, Kubernetes comes out once every three months. Um, so that's a pace that's typically faster than most people are used to dealing with. Um, and then, you know, the number of things that, that you have to integrate beyond Kubernetes, we've talked about this a bunch of times on the show, whether it's SDN networking, storage, monitoring, logging, CI pipelines, the host OS, you know, security up and down the stack. Like there's literally like dozens of things that have to get integrated and you're going to be doing those on a regular basis. Um, but, you know, it's it's not unusual to have, 50, 80, 100, more than 100 bugs between, you know, what you would consider sort of the upstream release of a, of a Kubernetes app platform and what you would consider like stable enough to run in production or GA or even, a you know, something that you want to be highly available. So those are some of the numbers that we throw out to people. And, and again, this goes back to your point, Tyler, of like, if you're doing that much work, 
um, to keep up with it and maintain it and all that stuff. Is that the best use of those sort of highly valuable engineers? Is that what you want the business to be doing? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not to say, you know, not to make it sound like the answer is always no, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, but it should just be a clear decision. I think that goes with a lot of things we talk about when it comes to customization or, or even this topic today is we're saying like, well, why is this group doing it this way? And why are we doing it that way? The, the real thing is, is hopefully there's, it was a conscious decision made with, you know, good information versus, Hey, that was the default setting or someone read about it online or, you know, or, or something like that, or some analyst told them versus, Hey, you know, we looked at this and for our company, this made sense. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a key thing is, is not saying that don't do that, but if you are, make sure you're doing it and you have a good reason for doing it. Right. Right. I I think another thing to consider on that, in that front is, um, you know, and, and we've, you mentioned this. We, we've seen this with with different iterations of of technology. So this isn't a Kubernetes specific thing. Like, um, you know, when the technology is in sort of its earlier days. So if you think about sort of a crossing the chasm distribution, right? The the first two sort of like earliest adopters and early um, early users. Um, it's not unusual for those teams to to work on this for a couple of years, get things going and running. And then to see entire teams leave companies, right? We've seen this with with previous things. Um, so you, you do sort of have to be asking yourself, like, okay, if we made it work with the best of the best, um, you know, with a bunch of really, really smart, powerful, you know, like uh, expensive employees, like, don't think of this as like, oh, uh, you know, are we going to be able to find them? Like, the question then becomes like, can you keep them? Because once those folks kind of it get, word gets out there that that's what they've done, they become very valuable to other people. And so ultimately you want your Kubernetes platform to sort of seem like boring commodity technology um, that lots of people could run. Um, but, you know, that is a, a concern to have is that, you know, will you be able to to get the talent, but then will you also be able to keep the talent, especially if we're in that earlier stages of a technology? I think Kubernetes is becoming more and more mature that it's applicable to a lot more uh, talent, but that is definitely something that um, if you're customizing it a lot and doing stuff at a pretty unique scale or with unique situations to to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, that's really the, the main takeaway is, is make sure you know all these possible sort of um, pitfalls and, and say, okay, this is still worth it. Yeah. And, and that's no different than, you know, it's no different. This isn't a, you know, vendor specific saying like, hey, you know, you should think that way because those guys sell software like this is the same sort of sort of buy versus build or, um, you know, core versus competency conversation you'd have with things like, uh, you know, do I need to hire an entire, I don't know, foreign currency uh, group in my finance department to manage that? Or are there external services that can help me with that? You know, do I need to build my own? whatever, uh, you know, could be a finance tool, could be a marketing tool, could be a whatever, or are there ways to get that off the shelf? Because again, that's not a core versus competency thing I want to do. Um, so the next thing I, I sort of had on my list is, so let's, let's assume that somebody has this running. Um, they, they, you know, they're, they're that group that has an environment running, however they built it or bought it. And they want to go convincing somebody else like, Hey, we should work together on this. You should come over and leverage our platform or so forth. Like what are some of the, collaboration, communication, sort of evangelism types of things that you've seen work well within organizations to get people to at least start talking about what they should do together? Honestly, I think the biggest thing is like ask, don't tell. 
Like it, it sounds simple, but you know, oh, there's this other group that's doing you know something. Um, you know, let's say oh, they're using a public cloud service, and you're in the central IT org, and and you have a platform or whatever. Is just ask questions like, what? What? Yeah. Oh, why are you doing that? Oh, to tell me more about this. How? How did you come upon that? Like, don't say you should be using our platform because um, you know obviously people naturally get defensive. It's more understanding their use cases because you may hear them say something like, "Oh, we do this one uh, machine learning thing that does this GPU," thing. and you're like, "Oh, well, our thing we use we don't have that in our setup, so they couldn't use ours anyway." But maybe we can get them on the same software release, or we can coordinate release schedules, or you know, share patch information. I think it's the key thing though is is uh, initially is just asking questions about what they're doing versus telling them what you're doing. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing that comes out of that a lot of times is. Um, you know, engineers by, by nature tend to think of themselves as, as engineers, right? Like I built something, um, you know, as long as I built something to spec or whatever, I don't necessarily have to worry about the the marketing of it. I, I, I think at the end of the day, you have to figure out a little bit of that sort of sales and marketing niche. And now, you know, the, the way to think about that is just imagine yourself, you have this platform and instead of being the lead engineer for the platform, like your title is now changed. You are the product manager or, you know, head of communication for that platform, which means you need to go out and, and tell some people like why they should care about your platform. And that means like you have an understanding of what the capabilities are. You're able to sort of like bundle the capabilities together so that people are like, oh, okay, I see why I would use this plus this plus this. And I think in doing that, this goes to your listening side of the equation is you can then, as people tell you what they do with their platform in a different group, you can go, oh, that seems like this thing that we do. Oh, this seems like this thing that we do. But if you're not actively going out and you know, part of it's talking to them about what you can do and then part of it's listening to what they want to do, if you're not actively doing that, um, you're not going to attract people. You're going to have sort of a you know, field of dreams, build it, and they will come, um, you know, dusty set of clusters sometimes. Yeah, I think that's the uh, that that is a great uh, analogy, which we've even seen pre. You know, forgetting containers, but just as IT moved away from, hey, we're, we're the IT department. We tell the line of business, sort of that push mentality with IT. Like, here's the technology you should be using, have to use. Where lines of business are saying, hey, this is the stuff we want to use, and then now you're competing with even say you know external services. Is you should ha- definitely have much more of a product management type approach to that. And, and we see that in really good orgs where, you know, they're constantly talking to their customers, basically of what they're trying to accomplish and then communicating with them what they're building and, and making sure that lines up just like any good product management team would. Yeah. The, the other thing I think we see that lacking a lot of times is we will hear people, um, they'll, they'll say to us, well, you know, we have a different group and they want to, they want to use a public cloud service. They don't want to use ours. And you go, okay, well, like, why do you think they want that? And it's, I think sometimes they get wrapped up in the, well, uh, you know, they just, they just want to use AWS or whatever. And a lot of times what you'll realize is they're using that because it, it takes too long to get your environment running, right? So you're not focused on what's the optimized experience. But in, but in some cases, it's just um, you haven't been able to provide them any sense of what your thing should cost. Because at the end of the day, this stuff will cost somebody something, whether it's acquiring assets, you know, using a public cloud service. So again, this goes back to this sort of like think like a product manager mindset. Um, you know, you you want to have a sense of well, what what would it cost 
internally. You don't even have to have chargeback systems or showback systems, but like, you know, roughly what would this cost and and put it in to sort of like-to-like terms for somebody, right? Like if they think they should be measuring this per hour, then, you know, do a little math, divide by 60 and figure out how you, you know, get it to look like an hourly number. Um, and you might find that you're way off for certain reasons that you got to go optimize. But if you never start from the the thing that they are comparing it to, it makes it really hard to be like, well, why aren't you using my thing? Because you're making them do all the hard work of being like doing the translating of well, what, what will that cost me or how long will it take to get up and running? Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I think that's the that sort of like sales analogy is and product management analogy there is great. You know, you don't if you're if you work for a vendor and you're talking to a customer and you say like, oh, here's what our thing costs, and like, oh, well, what is that different than the way we do it now? Like, well, you figure that out. And like, no, like most vendors have some sort of ROI TCO tooling and things like that because they're like, oh, we're going to help you figure this out. And if you have that same mindset of like, well, it may not make sense for you to use our service or switch to the thing we're using, but. Let's at least all agree on that based on the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's important. It's uh, apathy is a very power, powerful, powerful thing that I think a lot of people underestimate. That doing nothing is often far easier than than doing something for people, especially if they think that they have something already, as opposed to changing it. Uh, you know, another one of the things that comes up a lot is people will say, "Well, you know, we have certain capabilities that we we have on our platform." Um, and that might be, you know, we support certain languages or we support certain types of applications and they'll go to other groups and the other groups will go, well, you know, we don't really care about that. And, and so that, that's when you get into a situation where you sort of have to ask yourself, okay, um, you know, just like you would as a, a salesperson or a product manager or something, you sort of say, okay, is working with those new requirements that, that other group has, are those worth your time? You know, is that you know, something that you want to offer. So maybe it's an onboarding process. Maybe it's a, you know, we'll help you refactor an application. Or you might say, you know what, that's, that's takes us way off course for what we want to do. And you sort of have to make some decisions about like, are these other groups essentially markets that you want to get into? Are they customers that you want to work with? You know, is it going to cost you too much? Is it going to make you change your architecture? Like, I don't know that enough people kind of go through that. I think they think, well, if I just, uh, you know, lay out what I have, people will just kind of come to that. Yeah. And I think also is it's important to, as, as you reevaluate these things, the same thing you do as a product manager, you go talk to customers and they say, you know, we really need this, really need that. And once you start hearing that be a trend or, or we're looking at this other company's thing, or we're looking at doing this thing ourselves for these reasons, these you have to also be open to changing your thing, right, right? Right. So if you go to all these other groups and they're all doing, say, just the you know, talking in, in container line, right? They're they're all doing CAS stuff, and you're looking to do a PaaS, or you know, depending on what you're on, be like, well, the whole point is to get a co- if you're trying to get a common pa- platform, a good place to usually start is the most common, you know, uh, framework. So if you're doing it one way, but all the other groups are doing it differently. Be be open to changing what you're doing too. Right, right. Well, and I and I think that's what we often see is, especially in the enterprise, the enterprises become you know it, the enterprises are so big and there's so much technology that's come through over the last you know decade, two decades, whatever is they've kind of come to believe that whatever the heck they want, well, that should just be supported. And and in a lot of cases, you know your your goal or your motivation should be I don't want to create new snowflakes. I don't want to create new drift and new sprawl and all this stuff. And so, you know, you may have to 
while they say, well, we really want this database, you might be able to say like, look, I can give you a equally good, you know, SQL database of whatever flavor it might be. And we will support that. We will support you. We will support your application. And, and, you know, there's, there's potentially some win-win there between saying like, look, we're going to find this commonality. You, you need SQL database, but we're, we're not going to do it in a way that every one of these different groups is different, which makes it unsupportable at, at scale or, you know, unsupportable on the platform. So yeah, that, that kind of plays to your point of like, sometimes you, you have to be willing to, to vary what you're offering. And then sometimes you just have to be listening and and educate them on why they don't need something different, why you can deliver, you know, maybe it's 90% and you know what, that 90% might be way better than, than anything they've had today, especially if you deliver it fast, you can automate it fast, you can get it up and running or make it self-service, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, that's really the key is, it, I, I would say that's the biggest thing I've seen from enterprises too is the, the number one thing that hangs up groups and, and why they go their own way is not so much features. It's a lot of times just speed. Yeah. Right? Like we don't want to have 10 meetings for three weeks to get this thing. We want to do this thing today. So I think, you know, having a, um, you know, a, uh, a bias towards, towards speed is, is really important too. Yeah. No, I, I think if you were going to, you know, one of the things that don't, doesn't, doesn't always get talked about, but you know, that most people who've, who've worked in product management sort of know, know is that, you know, most end users really only use about, I don't know, 30%, 40% of the actual features of a platform and sometimes not even that much. Um, but, you know, they will be very frustrated if if things can't get running quickly, right? There's nothing worse than sort of sitting around and waiting and feeling like you're doing nothing. So you you oftentimes can win by having less features, but, you know, a better user experience, a better onboarding time, you know, more speed, more giving them self-control or self-service than chasing, you know, a hundred features. So maybe you only need, you know, 30 features or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's, uh, that's one of the things that I, you know, tell, tell people constantly. And I, I think it's really important to remember. And, and the same thing goes with, and it's not even a product thing. It could be a, you know, totally open source project thing is, you know, custom has cost. So anytime you change something from the default, add an extra layer, uh, plug in an extra feature thing, you know, the, the old days of enterprise architects, you know, building these, you know, perfect, you know, we're trying to design these giant, perfect death stars of, of technology that we're going to combine all the, the hottest technology at each layer um, isn't the right approach, right? It's about solving the business challenges or your customer's challenges, um, and to me, I'd say is with the least amount of changes or add-ons or custom things as possible, because now you now that's something you need to maintain going forward. So if you know if you internally find out, say, well, you, you know, in the container space that we're talking about, that is from a networking perspective, all of your user um, requirements are pretty basic on networking. Like, don't plug in some you know, giant expensive SDN, not so much even the cost, but then this is like another thing for you to manage and deal with and it makes it more complex and for everyone. And then potentially sometimes you even lead to more outages with this complexity you add to add features that none of your users are using. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I think we could, we could keep talking about a lot of these different things, sort of tips and tricks that we've seen, um, some things working. I, I think at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff boils down to, um, you know, you, you have to be willing to, to sort of half the cost conversation and the cost conversation is going to be both, you know, maybe the, so the cost of software or the cost of ongoing services, um, you know, but also be very cognizant that 
It is the cost of people. It is the cost of you know hiring and potentially rehiring. Um, but it's also the cost of of sprawl. You know, of dealing with um, you know, can you afford to not service the business fast enough? Can you afford to, um, you know, to not do certain things in a, in a timely manner? Um, but I, you know, so I think there's, you want to have the cost conversation. And then I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, spend some time looking at, you know, how do technology companies, um, you know, position market price, uh, what they do, because ultimately that's that's kind of what you're having to do internally, and and that won't feel normal or natural if you've never done it before. But um, you know, there's there's plenty of of good resources out there to look at. Um, you know, most people have have done sort of the back of the napkin stuff in the past, um, and uh, you know that's definitely something that I think gets overlooked uh, and and kind of undervalued more than anything is just the the internal communication, the evangelism, the thinking about your product as a product, not just, you know, uh, an IT service that is available to somebody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, a good way to sum it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, folks, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, you know, like I said, we could we could talk about this topic uh, a lot. We'd love to hear some of your stories. If, uh, if you want to share a story of, you know, how you made a decision of build versus buy or, you know, how you've uh, convince an internal group to, to to work on your platform when they were working on something else. We'd love to hear the stories. Uh, we'd love to hear some tips and tricks that you'd be willing to pass along to, uh, to other uh, PodCTL listeners. So with that, uh, we will talk to you next week. And uh, thank you as always for listening.